I wonder if we could turn in our Bibles to the Psalm 40, and we're going to read from the first verse of the psalm. Just a few psalms over from the one that we read earlier on, the Psalm 40, and we're reading from the first verse of the chapter. Psalm 40, beginning or reading at verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened, bird offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me. O Lord, let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts. Let's just unite at the throne of grace in prayer. Our loving God and our gracious fathers, we come to thee. We do rejoice in thy mercies today. We say like the psalmist, withhold not thy loving kindness from me. And, O God, that thou would smile upon us and bless the going forth of thy word tonight, whether here or over the internet, we pray that thy word might have free course, that thou wouldst bless the word of God to every heart tonight. Be with us as we uh, seek to look into thy word just now and bless us abundantly. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. 
Psalm 40 here is attributed to David, and it's a psalm that can be taken on many levels. For example, in the New Testament, it is quoted as referring directly to the Lord Jesus Christ himself and to his sufferings on behalf of sinner. And we think of how the Lord descended into the horrible pit of this world to bring sinners out of that pit uh, by dying there on the cross of Calvary. And then, of course, the psalmist refers to himself. This is a psalm of testimony as well. And you can see how that if you go down the psalm, the psalmist uses the word I or me or um, my a number of times. If you count there, and I tried to count, and I got 33 instances of the personal pronouns in the psalm. So the psalmist really is outlining a personal testimony, this personal relationship and what God has done for him. And we are glad tonight that we come to a God and we're proclaiming a God who is not a God afar off, but comes down to meet with us, who interacts with people and is willing to care for us and lift us out of the mire and pit of sin that we're in. Now, we think of the wondrous thoughts of God towards us. He says in verse 5 here, Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. And we're glad today that we have a God who thinks upon us. And the uh, uh, God that thinks upon us is a God of deliverance. And the psalm here, the psalmist, speaks of personal deliverance. How that God has lifted them out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay and has set his feet upon the rock and established his goings. And we can think of the blessings that God gives to those who are his, who come to him. He lifts guilty, hell-deserving sinners out of the mire and pit of sin. And he puts a song in their hearts. Really, we have a journey here from the miry pit to melodious praise. He is in the horrible pit at the start and sinking in the mire And uh, in the second verse, or in the third verse, he has a new song in his mouth, even praise unto his God. And we're glad today that God takes men and women that are at the lowest, right down in the very depths, and God lifts them to the heights. And so we want to look at the stages here, if we could say. Now, it's not by stages that God brings people out. God brings them out uh, by his redemption. He lifts them completely and suddenly out of that place. But as we look at the portion of scripture here, I think that we can see uh, something of steps as he is brought from the lowest depths and he's brought and he ascends to the sublimest heights. And my dear friend, that's the journey that we want for you. We're not not here to proclaim something that will bring you down or something that will make you miserable. Here is the psalmist, and he finds happiness, and he finds gladness in the midst of his situation. And there are so many miserable people today. You know, you hear day by day, and even today, uh, we were hearing about 
people who are so down that they're contemplated suicide. And there are so many young people and they've nothing to live for. And maybe I'm speaking to somebody like that and you've nothing to live for. Well, dear friend, if you're in that pit, I'm glad that God can bring you out. He can lift you. As we were singing earlier in the meeting, love lifted me. Oh, that you might be lifted by the grace and power of God. But let's just look at the steps that are depicted here in this uh, portion of Scripture as the psalmist speaks of going from these depths up to the heights. And the first uh, step that we can see here is sin depicted. You'll notice how the psalmist paints the picture of the place that he was in, and he describes it here as a horrible pit or as miry clay. Now, the word miry clay there in the Hebrew is a word that speaks of soft mud or uh, quicksand, that kind of slush or water or loam. Uh, The Hebrew is a miry bog or a muddy clay. Now, if you've ever um, stood uh, on the seashore in the wet sand, you might experience something of the feeling of the man here where you begin to sink. And if you stand there that long, we don't really have much quicksand in this country, but sometimes you have muddy fields. I remember when we were small and we were going across a field down by Loch Ern, and um, my brother got his shoe stuck and no matter how he uh, pulled, he couldn't get, he had to leave the shoe there. And of course, we were sent back to find the shoe afterwards because there wasn't much money to buy new shoes. And it had completely gone. It had sunk into the mud. And you can imagine this man here. And he's, uh, if you've ever been in a situation like that where you're sinking and quicksand, especially, is something the more you move, the less ability that you have to get out of it. It sucks you in. And the thing is not to move. And unless you're by the side of a, 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 a place where there's quicksand, you're not going to get out without help. And that's the picture. There's a picture here of hopelessness and helplessness. And that's what he's speaking about here when he speaks about the horrible pit and the miry clay. Now, I want you to think about the depth of this place because he speaks here about this horrible pit, and he's obviously implying that's a deep place. He is able to sink here into the depths, and in fact, it's so deep here that he cannot get out of it. The psalmist in Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. And when he refers to the depths there, he's probably referring to the sea. He's in a place that is as deep as the sea. His troubles were as deep as the sea. He felt that he was in such a place that he was just sinking and sinking. There was no bottom to this awful abyss that he was falling into. And it seemed as if there was no bottom. There was no way. And he's just in complete despair. And the word for pit here is probably a reference to a prison. In those days, you would be thrown into a pit. There wasn't the kind of prisons with bars today. They would put you in a cave or a hole in the ground, and they would just fire you in there. And of course, it wasn't cleaned out, and the water sometimes would come in, 
And it became just a mire and a bog at the bottom of this prison. And people would sink into the mire and into the clay. And you can just imagine the awful stench and the awful conditions. It was dank and it was dark and it was a dungeon. You know, we read about Jeremiah being put into such a place. In Jeremiah 38 and verse 6, it says, they, And they took, uh, then took they Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamelech, that was in the court of the prison. And they let down Jeremiah with cords, and in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sunk in the mire. So there is the description. That's what the psalmist is talking about here, when he speaks about this pit, this deep pit, full of mire, full of uh, uh, effluent, really. Full of stench. He's, this, is, this is the picture. And dear friend, there's the picture of the sinner. There's the picture of the sinner. And maybe you'll not recognize that. You'll not see the reality. But as God looks upon you tonight, he sees a filth. He sees the mire. He sees that um, blasphemy against God as you take the Lord's name on your uh, lips. Maybe... You have been caught up in substance abuse or maybe you've been caught up in the vices of this day and generation and maybe you've made resolutions but you can't change and you've tried it all, you've tried your best but there's nothing that you can do and you're just sinking in the mire. It seems as if there's no way out. Am I I putting a finger upon your situation tonight? Oh dear friend, there you are in the depths. Not only was it a deep place, but it's a dark place. It's a place where the psalmist wouldn't have been able to see. I was in the Mamertine prison in Rome, where Paul was uh, supposed to have been held, probably was held. And you could go down into one of the cells, and today there's steps down into the cell. But in those days, there was a hole in the floor. The hole in the floor is still there. And I remember saying to the guy, is that where they put the prisoners in? And what they, they just threw them in, threw them in there. And they weren't going to get out. More often than not, they were just put, and there were some kind of lights. There were lights in that place, but there was no windows. So in the days when Paul would have been there, it would have been complete darkness. And you know, I've just said to you, maybe, dear friend, when I describe the absolute disgusting nature of your sin, maybe you don't recognize that. And the reason is that you're in the dark. You don't see. You can't see the light. The, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2 and 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. There are things that you will not see because you're in darkness. Because you are in that place where, like the prisoner, couldn't even see his hand in front of his face. There are many things that you can see. You might be perfectly clever and you might have a good IQ. But the spiritual things pass you by. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light. Lest his deeds should be reproved. 
And part of that darkness is this inability to see spiritual reality. But I want to ask you tonight, is there not a possibility? You're filled with the world's worldview. You live your life according to what the world tells you. But is there a possibility that there's another way of seeing things? There's another way of looking at things. Is there a possibility that what has brought you down to despair and what has brought you down to dissatisfaction is not the reality of things at all? Is there not a possibility that there is a God in heaven? There is a reality that there is a God in heaven with whom you have to do. And dear friend, you need to face that tonight, but you're in darkness But not only is it a deep place and a dark place, it's a deafening place. Because the original word for horrible there in the Hebrew is a word that has the connotation of noise. It is, perhaps the thought is the noise of rushing waters. Here they are probably in a cave. Maybe there are waters underneath there. Maybe they're surrounded by waters or maybe there's water coming into the top and that's the reason for the mire and so on. But it's a deafening place. There's a sense perhaps of being overcome or being destroyed here. The flood would come and destroy. And this horrible place here is described as being full of noise. And isn't that the way that people try to drown out the message of God in this world? This is a world full of noise. People have their phones today and they carry their music with them. And in the car you have music and in the shop you have music and you have uh, the uh, news on here and everywhere. This is a world full of noise. And why is it full of noise? Because men want to drown out the thoughts that are in their hearts. Don't want to think about eternity or the things of God. Want all sorts of entertainment to distract them from these thoughts and these things. And by it's a a world full of noise. But you remember what the Lord Jesus said to his people when they were coming out of Egypt. He said, be still. Be still and know that I am God. How about sitting down a minute? How about getting away from the distractions of this day and generations? How about taking up God's word and beginning to contemplate what it is that God says in his word? Let's get away from the deafening din of this old world and its propaganda and let's begin to listen for the voice of Almighty God. It was a deafening place. And then it was a desolate place in the sense that it was a lonesome place. The word there translated um, horrible can also have the connotation of desolation or loneliness. We could translate it, he brought me up also from a a lonesome place. Now, the uh, translation that we have here in the Bible is better, but there is that connotation to the the word as well. And you think there... It's a deafening place. There's a din. But there's still a lonesomeness. Very often in those days, people were slung into these pits and they were just left there, left there to languish. In olden days, they had prisons that were called ubelets. And that was the idea. People were just put in there and forgotten. 
never to be let out, never to be cared for, never to be taken any uh, thought of. They were just left there to die. And here was this lonesome place left there. Maybe I'm speaking to someone in the midst of this world with all the people that you've around you. You're feeling that lonesomeness. You've nobody be there with you. You don't have the one that the child of God can come to who is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You don't want one to whom you can cry in times of need, knowing that that one that you cry to is able to meet you at the point of your need. You've nobody. Oh, thank God there is one. There is one who is willing to take your cares and your sorrows and to make them his very own. He bore the burden of Calvary and he suffered and he he died alone that you might have the fellowship of his kingdom and that you might be brought out of your lonesomeness into the fellowship and communion of the people of God and into the church of the living God. Dear friend, I wonder tonight, are you desolate? Are you lonesome? You need one who can meet you at the point of your need. Then something else about this place that we've already employed, applied is a disgusting place. They were abandoned in this place, in this cave. There were no toilets in the cave. And when we talk about the mire, you can just imagine what we're talking about. Jeremiah sunk in the mire. And this was a foul, damp, loathsome place. Our stomachs would turn when we think about it. It was a place with all sorts of disease and pestilence. And it was putrefaction and horror in the midst of all of that. We think of what the Lord says about our souls. He says from the sole of the foot to the head, there's no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores that cannot be bound up, neither mollified with ointment. In Isaiah 64 and 6, he says that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in his sight. And that word filthy rags conveys the filthiest of garments. That's how God sees us in filth, in filth. We look at the things that we do as good, but even the good things that we do are not acceptable to God. You can't win your way to heaven or work your way to the place of eternal rest. You can't do that. You're in a place that is disgusting to God. That's why God cannot bring you into his presence. That's why you're barred from the presence of God. Because you're filled and covered with the filth of your sin. Something else about this place. It's a place of death. As we say, many of these people who were put into these pits were just left there to die. And probably they considered that that's what they deserved. And maybe it was what they deserved. We realize that the wages of sin is death. And the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Dear friend, tonight you're in a horrible pit. You're in the miry clay, sinking down, can't get out. No way of salvation, it seems. But not only is there here something of sin depicted, but there's salvation displayed. 
Because while we have painted this picture of despair, this picture of the horrible pit in the miry clay, I want you to see that there is a salvation. There is a way out. It says, he brought me up out also of, out of that horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And you can see the origi- originator of this deliverance. He, he brought me. And of course, the he is the Lord. He's the one who takes the initiative. He's the one who brings us out of the horrible pit. He's the one who rescues us. As we say in the ancient times, it was the practice of kings to leave their prisoners in those places. Nobody was championing their rights. There were no prisoners' societies in those days committed for the welfare of the prisoners and all the rest. They were just left there. Nobody cared about them. Oh, dear friend, when we are in the prison house of sin, there's a God who cares and reaches down. We have sinned against him constantly. We have sinned against him frequently. We have sinned against him in thought and word and deed. And yet, in his mercy, in our filth, he reaches down to us in the midst of the filth and the mire of sin. And he's ready to take us by the hand while we were yet Sinners, Christ died for us. And you can see that it is he and he alone who can lift us out. You can't get out by yourself. You're sinking in the mire. The more you move, the more you try, the more you sink. But you need one who can reach down and lift you out. But then not only do I want you to see the originator of the deliverance, but look at the outline of the deliverance. Because look at the text again. It isn't just that he reaches down and lifts us out. It says, he brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay. Now, I want you to think about Jeremiah again. I I mentioned Jeremiah uh, earlier in the message, and we thought about how Jeremiah, you remember how he he, uh, antagonized the king, Uh, with the message that they were going to be brought into captivity. And you remember the king had ordered him put into this pit and he sunk down in the mire. But there was a savior for Jeremiah, a man, an Ethiopian by the name of Abedmelech. And Abedmelech decided that he would rescue Jeremiah out of this pit, out of this prison. And so he tied some sheets together and he let them down as a rope to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was able to catch hold of them in the midst of the mire, and this man was able to haul him up out of the pit. And what a mercy it was that Jeremiah had a saviour who was able to pull him out of that pit and rescue him. And if it hadn't been for Abed-Melech, well, Jeremiah might have died in that pit and in the midst of the mire that he was in. But I want you to notice something here about this text of Scripture. It isn't that the Lord... Um, puts down his hand to lift us out, or that he gets a rope and he throws it down to us and pulls us out. If you look carefully at the words here, it says, he brought me up also out of an horrible pit. And what does that say? It says that he goes down into the pit to lift us out. He brought me up also. He didn't lift me up. He brought me up also out of the horrible pit. And I'm not saying, I want to be careful, I'm not saying that the Lord came into the mire of sin or that the dirt got on him. 
That's not he remained wholly harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. But he did come into this world of sin. He left the realms of glory and he came down to this earth to lift us out of the horrible pit. Not to pull us out of the horrible pit, but to actually lift us out. He came down to be with us, to identify with us, and to give us a lift out of that place. And he lifted us by his death on the cross of Calvary. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now we thought about the desolation or the loneliness of that horrible pit. But here we have the picture of in the loneliness, the Lord Jesus comes down and draws alongside us. And dear friend, in your sin, the Lord Jesus comes down, he condescends to come down, to be with you, to draw alongside you, to let his word speak to you. And maybe God has been speaking to your heart. You've heard his voice. He's drawn alongside you. And you hear the voice of Almighty God saying, Come unto me. He, as the psalmist said, is a very present help in trouble. You know what he'll do? He comes to make you his friend. He comes and he wants to make you part of his family. He will receive you. You will get the spirit of adoption whereby you can cry, Abba, Father. And maybe you're lonely today. Well, here's one who is willing to come wherever you are, how, how deep down you may be, how desolate you may be. He comes to lift you out of that place and he will lift you out if you will call upon him. The desolation We thought about the disgusting nature of that place, this horrible pit, and we spoke about the filth, and you're languishing in that filth. But here the Bible uh, indicates that you can be brought up out of that horrible pit. And you know what the Lord does with you? He cleans you up, and he puts upon you a robe of righteousness. We were thinking about the robe this morning. Uh, We are thinking about the coronation robe. And he gives you a coronation robe, But he gives you a robe of righteousness. He takes away the old filthy garments of sin. And he gives you a clean robe. A pure robe. And you can stand before him. And the Bible says there's therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. And then we thought about the death of the place. Lingering in the horrible pit causes death. Well, the one who draws alongside is the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I give unto my sheep eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So this one who comes down to lift us out of the pit, the one who um, is there to um, uh, set our feet upon the rock and establish our goings, is the one who brings life. He meets your need. He meets your need. Dear friend, here is the greatest offer that there could ever be. And what about this Savior? What about our Lord? What about our Redeemer tonight? We see the outline of the deliverance. But then look at the occasion of the deliverance. When did it happen? Well, it happened 
when the psalmist cried unto the Lord. Look at verse 1. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. When was he lifted out of the horrible pit? When the Lord heard his cry. When will you be lifted out of that pit of lonesomeness, out of that pit of despair, out of that pit of disgust, out of that pit pit of death? When will you be lifted out of that pit? When you cry unto the Lord. When you call upon him. When you seek his face. Dear friend, what you need to do is open your mouth and cry unto God. Even you don't have to open your mouth. You can cry unto God from your heart and you can call upon the Lord for salvation and you can be saved today. Maybe you're saying, well, that's too easy. Maybe you're one of a member or being involved with one of the liturgical churches and you feel that you have to go through some ceremony or some kind of liturgy in order to be saved. Dear friend, all you need to do is call. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But something else we see here sin depicted and we see salvation delivered, displayed. But then I want you to see satisfaction demonstrated. Look at verse 3 of the psalm. He says, He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. And I want you to see that there's a change that is spoken of. Now, when we sing, it usually indicates that we're happy, and that's what's been indicated here. And really, what you have in the psalm is the psalmist wondering at himself, singing. He has discovered that he's singing. He realizes that he's singing, that God has put a new song in his mouth. And what a change! He hadn't been singing a few moments ago when he was in that horrible pit. He hadn't been singing when he had been sinking in the mire. My, he'd been desolate and lonesome. There he was in despair and depression and down. And he didn't know how to get out. And suddenly he's lifted out. And his whole heart, his whole life is changed. And there's a song in his mouth. A song of the soul set free. Be friend of you, a song in your soul today. I have a song in my soul today. Something I'd never had. Jesus has taken my sins away. Oh, say, but I'm glad. Have you a song? As I say, there are so many in this world, and they have no song. They're shattered. They're sad. They're down, depressed. Oh, dear friend, if that's you, you can have a song. You can be changed. In, like this man, he, can, he was changed in a moment, and he could say like the hymn writer on Christ, The solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. You see, not only had he a a song, but he had a foundation. He had a strong rock on which he had to stand before he was sinking, before he had no firm ground to stand on. But now God has given him the rock, and the rock's Christ. And when you stand on Christ, you're not going to sink. You're not going to fall. You have a solid foundation. Not only do we see here the change that is spoken of, but look at the chorus that is spoken of. We think of this song that he has. And you know many of God's people, and we we go through times when we have difficulties. We're not saying 
that the life of a Christian complete, that you're just singing all the time. But there is a song in our souls. I remember hearing the story of Charles Wesley one time, and he was uh, living the Christian life, but he wasn't really witnessing for the Lord. And he went to a Moravian minister that he knew, and he wanted to know if it was necessary for him to openly confess Christ. And this old Moravian minister said to him, he said, if I had 10,000 tongues, I would use them all in telling of my Savior. And of course, John Wesley took that on board, and he went and wrote that hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. And my, there was a song in his heart as he thought about the Savior. I hope that there's a song in your heart. The chorus that is spoken of. But look at also the charm that is spoken of. It says, many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. There is a charm. There is an attraction about those who are uh, displaying the joy of the Lord in their hearts. When people begin to see the change in your life, it began, begins to attract others. Now you think, dear friend, think about your loved ones. Think about your friends. I'm sure you want them to be saved. I, I hope that you don't want them to be in a Christless eternity. And dear friend, you can be a means of speaking to them. Even your life, the change in your life can be a means of speaking to others. Oh, what a wonderful thing. The transformation that the Lord Jesus Christ brings in the life. But there's one more thing that I want you to see very briefly here. It's a sure destination. The psalmist says, and establish my goings. Look at verse 3 there, or verse 2. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon the rock, and established my goings. Where are you going today? Where is the end of the journey for you? If you were to go out of this scene of time right now, where would you land? Where would you be? The psalmist says that his goings were established. He was on a firm road to a firm destination. And those that are saved today, we can say that we're on the firm road to a firm destination. We're going home to glory soon, to see the city bright, to walk the golden streets of heaven, and bask in God's own light. But we can say like the hymn writer, many of you are lost and lone and held by many a snare. We cannot leave you lost and alone. We want you over there. Where are you going? Where is the road of life leading you? Where are you going to end up? Dear friend, you need a firm foundation, and you need your goings established. And it's only the Lord Jesus Christ that can do that. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit. Are you in the horrible pit of sin, in the horrible pit of despair? Then come to the blessed Redeemer and let him change your life and set you on a new course that leads to eternal life and eternal bliss. May God write his word 
upon our hearts, even to thine, for his name's sake. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, this evening we do thank thee for thy precious word. And we thank thee for the one who lifts men and women out of the mire and pit of sin and despair and death. O God, we thank thee that thou dost put our feet upon the firm rock and establish our goings. We know where we're going today because we're depending upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that others might depend upon thee. And, O God, that their goings might be established and that thou wouldst uh, be pleased to lift them by thy grace and by thy mercy. Write thy word upon hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen. If God has spoken to you, don't be afraid to get in touch with us. Or if you're here, wait behind. And we certainly will want to point you to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a, a verse anyway of the hymn 222 in closing. Come ye sinners poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. We sing the first two verses of the hymn and we'll stand as we sing. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy precious word to our hearts, and we pray that thy word of it would have free course and be glorified. Part us now in thy fear and with thy blessing. Take us to our homes in safety, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with thy people, both now and in the incoming days, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.